Today's episode is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. You know, many people want to make a lasting kingdom impact with their lives, but they're not really sure where to start. At Ozark Christian College, the Master of Arts in Biblical Ministry will equip you for effective ministry rooted in Scripture. This degree is for people serving in a church, nonprofit, or parachurch organization. With online and on-campus options, the Master of Arts in Biblical Ministry prepares you to answer the kingdom assignment God has for you. Learn more and apply for free at occ.edu masters. What's up, everybody? This is Dave Stovall, and you're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm glad to have you on the episode today. We've been working our way through last year's track sessions at our National Disciple Making Forum. Today's episode is track session number four by Great Commandment Network, and they've been talking to us about whole life discipleship. If you've missed some of the episodes, you might want to skip back and hear the previous three episodes. We got Dr. Lewis Alexander talking to us further about that same exact topic. It's a great episode and a great reminder that we don't just let some department in our churches do the disciple making. This is something that every single follower of Jesus needs to be doing. And not just when we're clocked in, not just when we're clocked out. This is like something we do with our entire lives. So I hope that you'll enjoy this episode. Let's jump in. This is Dr. Lewis Alexander from Great Commandment Network talking to us about whole life discipleship. Here we go. Welcome. I'm Lewis Alexander with the Great Commandment Network. Oh, it is time to start. Thank you. Um, and our ministry is based out of um, Austin, Texas. Uh, and we, you are here for Whole Life Discipleship uh, as we're trying to take it to the next gen, into the community. Uh, and for those of you uh, who haven't been tracking with these tracks, uh, with Whole Life Discipleship, I'll give you just sort of a brief um, overview of what we've been talking about. Uh, when we talk about whole life uh, discipleship, we end up looking at, uh, if you see this little outline, it's got this image uh, that's pictured here. We look at five different dimensions. Um, we looked at, yesterday, we looked at faith. We think that, um, you know, oftentimes discipleship focuses on our faith, which we think it should. Uh, we need to have a strong faith, and, and we like to speak in terms of spirit-empowered. Uh, Jesus said that in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. Um, after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be empowered, you'll be my witnesses, you'll receive that power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So we're all about uh, a Spirit-empowered faith, um, and uh, so faith is an important part of what we call whole life uh, discipleship. I do have a a uh, book and an outline. Can you guys pass that back? Yeah. Uh, we oftentimes uh, see that that many times discipleship is limited, though, to faith, and that can be a, a part of our problem because uh, Jesus speaks to the whole life, and when we talk about John ten ten, we want to extend abundance or flourishing. Uh, to all of life. And so we talk about, yesterday we talked a little bit about in relationships. Jesus spoke a lot about relationships. Uh, the great commandment is all about relationships, loving God and loving others. And he said, on this hangs the law and the prophets. So I'm an Old Testament guy. That was my PhD. But Jesus gave me a relational hermeneutic when he gave me the great commandment, uh, the, a way to interpret uh, the Hebrew Bible is through the lens of loving God and loving others. On that depends the law and the prophets. So 
we would say that you know Jesus has sort of given us this relational hermeneutic in in terms of how does um, the scriptures uh, lead us into a loving relationship with God and uh, the relationships we want to keep in our life, uh, the meaningful relationships that are important to us. Um, and he's always ex expanding us or extending us beyond our comfort zone. Um, so we have a book for you and an outline. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, when we talk about whole life, we talk about faith, we talk about relationships that Jesus wants us to thrive and have abundance in our relationships, starting with our nearest ones at home. If you're married, how many of you are married in the room? Awesome. How many of you uh, have kiddos? All right, any grandparents? He bands up. All right. So we want to begin to extend the kingdom to them, right, to our, our near ones, to our kids, and then beyond the concentric circles, continuing to take us outside of even our comfort zone. Um, and then we talk about wellness, and even in a time of uh, COVID, we want to experience peace. Uh, peace is a person. His name is Jesus. And how do we experience peace in the midst of external insecurities? How do we have still have wellness in our life? Um, so yesterday we spoke, spoke a little bit on, on wellness. Uh, the earlier track, we spoke about finances, that Jesus spoke a whole lot about finances. Um, and, and so he, he wants us to have thriving in all of life. In this particular session, we're going to focus on vocation. Uh, how many of you have a J-O-B? Anybody have a, a J-O-B, okay, <laughs> that you show up to? <laughs> um, we're a tent-making ministry, uh, greatcommandment.net. In other words, we on staff generate our own income. We don't want to be a burden to anybody, as Paul said. So we work day and night as to not be a burden on any. And then we give away our time in ministry. Our tent-making side is called Relational Values Alliance. That's where we're out in the community uh, generating an income so that we can then reinvest in pastors, in churches, uh, in extending the kingdom of God uh, on earth. One of the jobs that I show up for is as a university professor. I teach at Texas State University, and I love students. Uh, I love to be among the students uh, who don't know Christ. And we've actually, uh, a course we've created is called Legacy Leadership. It's for business students. And so in the, in, in the uh, and they're from all the disciplines of business. They're from finance and accounting and management and marketing and um, entrepreneurship, uh, HR, and uh, they're there for this course called Legacy Leadership, uh, Purpose Beyond Performance. And right out of the gate, I'm getting those students to look at life purpose. Why, uh, not why our 7.5 billion or however many we are at now on the planet, but why am I here? And then how do I use my business platform to, to uh, fulfill life purpose? What do I identify as my life purpose? Uh, so right out of the get-go, we're working on life purpose. And they have to come up with a purpose statement uh, by the end of semester. Uh, so uh, first part of December, they're going to be called into account uh, to stand up and share uh, as they do a little presentation of their takeaways from the course their life purpose statement. And the other thing I have them do is uh, do a SWOT analysis on that. So they got a SWOT self. In other words, what keeps them from fulfilling their life purpose? Uh, so they look at their strengths and their weaknesses and their opportunities and their threats. Um, and they, that all has to be a part of their presentation uh, to the class. So one of the get-tos that I have to generate an income is uh, teaching. Uh, at a university. I talked to the students about the difference between their occupation, whatever they're going to do to put beans on the plate, keep the lights on, and their vocation, their calling. Um, and that's an important part of purpose. You know, what am I called to do? Uh, so uh, regardless of how you generate your income, you have a calling on your life. Uh, it's called the Great Commission. 
we are to make disciples, we make disciple makers. Now, I can't say that at a state university, at Texas State, but um, I am able to get them to think about why are they on the planet? What are they meant to do? Um, who are they meant to become to fulfill that? And I begin to share with them some of my life purpose. Um, I don't know about you. I don't, know how, I don't know how you got through school, but the way I got through school <laughs> is through acrostics and acronyms. So I've actually taken my name. Uh, so my name, I, I usually write this on the board for the students. Uh, my name is Lewis is the first name. And uh, my middle name is Vale, V-A-L-E. And what I've done, I've created an acro a, a sense, I've tied my purpose into my name. So the, I tell them the L is for lovingly, the, the E is equipping, wise, influential servants. That's how I kind of work in the Great Commission. So without saying it's the Great Commission, I'm basically saying that part of why I'm on the planet is to lovingly equip wise, influential servants. So even though these are, uh, it's a state university, I'm actually seeding in a little bit of the uh, uh, sense of purpose, life purpose, uh, as it relates to their vocation. Uh, the veil, my middle name, stands for valuing all life experiences. I tell them, hey, um, I want to value uh, my own life experiences and what they're teaching me, uh, but I, good or bad. But I also want to value your life experiences. Where'd you fall in a ditch? Because I'm calling you to see when I fall in that same ditch how to get out of it. Uh, I want to value your life experiences, good or bad. If you've blazed the trail and have success, I want to learn from you about that. Uh, so um, that's, a, that's one of the ways that I do some tent making. Uh, my wife and I own a resort in Belize. So uh, it was doing pretty good until COVID hit and they shut down the country for a while. Uh, but that's, uh, that was kind of her hobby uh, to keep her um, busy with her life purpose uh, through uh, this resort called Buried Treasure Beach uh, in Belize. It's on the peninsula. I don't know if, you, if you've spent much time down there, but it's a um, great, beautiful place uh, down in Belize. Uh, but that's another way that we uh, generate income so that we can give away uh, our time. Um, and I'll tell you more a little bit about that uh, as we go through. Um, but life purpose is, I think, a key part of um, helping disciple people to understand why they're on the planet. Um, that makes sense? So you can even start doing that with unbelievers, people that are uh, not of faith. And then my last name... I, I don't give that to them. I tell them, if you want to know uh, how I've tied purpose into my last name, I'll let you know. Because um, my last name, Alexander, is alleviating loneliness, expecting Christos. I had to go into my Greek to figure out what to do with the X. Uh, experiencing Christos alongside needing disciplines, that's the ND, enriching relationships. So I try to create some intrigue among the business students. Uh, I don't give them my last name, I, uh, what, it, what it means. I said, if you want, I tell them, if you want to know what it means, you can ask me. Uh, that way it, it has opened up a door for me to be able to share the good news of, uh, of how Christ makes a difference uh, as he comes alongside um, me. So that's a little bit about uh, who I am and what we do. Um, we do it in the community. When we talk about community, we do it through Relational Values Alliance. So if you go to that website, you can see all about how we're into the different domains of culture, um, what we do to take this relational message that we're going to talk about into government. So another one of the JOB's jobs that, that I have is partnering with Health and Human Services Commission in Texas. They have a marriage education program called Together in Texas. And couples get 60 bucks off their wedding license if they'll take an eight-hour 
relational skills course. Mm -hmm. So we have a course for the community called Keeping Marriages Healthy. And it's, we started with Bible base. We started with kind of Genesis 2.18, not going to be alone. So we, and we backed that Bible verse out, but we still argue with these couples from the community that it's just not going to be alone. Uh, so we kind of explore three dimensions of aloneness, their spiritual aloneness, their emotional aloneness, and their physical aloneness. And how do we have intimacy as God's antidote for the, that aloneness in those three areas? And talking about, you know, if you're going to sustain this marriage, then, you know, you need to have some oneness related to your spiritual life. And most people will be okay with spirituality. Um, we'll talk about it in, in the context of values. Uh, what are your values that you want to pass along to your children? And most people will have those, um, that they're able to have value-based discussions. Um, so in a room like this, we'll have um, couples coming from the community of, of all types. And because Texas is, is um, um, you know, an definitely an open state, you never know who's going to show up in the room. Um, and so we're just trying to teach relational skills to them as a way to hopefully bridge to the gospel, introduce them to, let, to Jesus and let Jesus work out in their life. Um, holiness um, in them. Um, and the, we often get churches involved in hosting like a table group. We usually have table groups of couples. And so a, a, um, a church will send someone who has a passion for marriage. Perhaps uh, God has restored their marriage and they have a heart for that. We think that's where you get your people for whole life discipleship in any of these areas that to lead a ministry is God's done some redemptive work in their heart um, in some way. In as we talked about finances uh, in the last session, I talked about God's redemptive story in my own finances that give me a passion to, to want to disciple others in, in good financial stewardship. Same with, same with uh, marriages, you know, God's restored some relationships in your church. And uh, let me just pause for a minute. How many of you are pastors? You're currently pastoring in some way in your church. Awesome. If you find any value in this resource um, that um, we're giving you, if you if you do lead a small group, uh, we'll I'll just give you extra copies. This is an advanced reader's uh, copy, um, and if I'll give you enough to lead a small group, if you find value in this uh, process. Um, and what we've done in this resource, you know, there's a lot of famous people that have written articles. We got their permission to use their articles. But what we've worked back into this is an approach to discipleship called Whole Life. And we, um, we've worked in some spirit-empowered, what we call spirit-empowered outcomes of what it looks like to be a disciple. And there's 40 of them in Appendix 3. Uh, and how we got to this, I'll give you a little, those of you who haven't been going through the tracks, uh, how we got to these 40 is uh, we started with, um, you'll see on the handout, uh, about midway down where it says spirit-empowered faith. We started with this Bible verse in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 that uh, the Lord has gifted you all. Um, and some of you are uh, apostles, and some of you are prophets, and some of you are evangelists, and some of you are pastors and teachers. And he's done that for a purpose. You talk about life purpose. Uh, he's done that for a purpose, to build up the body of Christ, equip the saints for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's how I got the equipping part that I'm on the planet to, to equip. That's my calling. Um, starting with the mutual discipleship that happens between me and my wife, um, she claims that she gets credit for helping me live with, with her in an understanding way, uh, like Peter talks about. Uh, disciple my kids and now disciple my grandkids, taking that to the next generation. Um, and then out the door of my home into the community, uh, into the classroom with the students that I teach. 
is really important. And, and we'll talk about uh, some of the strategies that I have even in the classroom um, to get to know my students, um, to build trust with students. Because uh, oftentimes they come in with this adversarial relationships. You know, I'm, I'm the teacher, I'm the professor. I have the power over you because I can affect your grade. <laughs> um, I want to mitigate against that, remove that threat. Um, there's a great business article called Manage with the Brain and Mind, if any of you are in business. Um, and it talks, you know, from, from, neuro, uh, from uh, the study of neurology and how our uh, brain is wired uh, that we perceive when we walk into a place, whether it's a safe environment or not. Because our brain is a social organ. And so we've got to create safe spaces around us. Um, as we've been kind of tracking through this together, uh, this model of um, discipleship that's there on your page, it's uh, oftentimes referred to as the stages of discipleship. Uh, we've got to create safe spaces around us where people can explore the truths of the faith. That I, and that's going to require me to become a safe person so that people can explore the truths, starting with the gospel. Um, and, you know, is this, is this um, someone I would want to get to know? Do I want to have a relationship with God? Um, and they're experiencing uh, Christ in me, hopefully, uh, the hope of glory. Um, but I have to be safe in that way and be an accepting person. Even people that are way out, way different than me, uh, trying to live out Romans 12, 15, to accept one another as Christ accepted you. Um, that's requiring me to become an accepting person with people who are very different than I am. Um, so that they would hopefully come to embrace a truth of the faith and then ultimately experience it uh, in their life that brings about uh, transformation and then ultimately pass that along to express it. Uh, so these stages I think I mentioned in each of the sessions so far, uh, we were looking for who, who, were, who was one of the earliest uh, writers, Christian writers, to talk about stages of discipleship. And the earliest one that we came across is Hippolytus, not to be confused with Hippopotamus. Uh, he was an early church father, uh, wrote a book in 215 called Apostolic Tradition. Uh, and it was in Greek, so we had to use our best exegetical tools. And for pastors, we had to use alliteration. That's why we got four E's. Um, to come up with these four stages. And we found this stage model helpful to kind of assess where, where we are in the journey, to both self-assess um, and then even assess our disciples that we're, we're trying to make. Uh, how are they doing at this? You know, how are they doing at prayer? Um, remember the Jesus story in... Luke 11, 1, where the disciples came upon Jesus and he was praying. Um, it's not that they didn't know how to pray, right? Um, which is usually not the, the problem. Most people know how to pray. They know how to have a conversation. Um, they know how to talk. They off, it's not an issue of even why am I praying. That was very much a part of their tradition. They know the why. Uh, but in this case, perhaps it's the what. Maybe people don't pray because they don't know what to pray. And so um, one of the things we've been working on is, and give you an opportunity to, to explore yourself, is just a prayer app where we're just pushing out um, some prayers based on Scripture. You're just praying the Scripture. Uh, do you think God's going to listen to His Word and, and uh, keep His promises? Well, then we're just trying to lead people to pray his word. Um, and so teaching people, um, in this case, in this example, to pray, the disciples were on a journey uh, to how did, how did Jesus pray with the power and the discipline uh, that he prayed? And that was very compelling for them, very attractive for them, and the boldness in which he prayed. Um, so ultimately, they, they, they walk that journey. But we've got to create a safe space around us. That's the starting point uh, in this whole 
this opposite journey. Yes, sir. Not the one of what, the how. The how to pray, yeah. Um, I went back home to Indianapolis, Indiana. They had 7,000 apostolic Pentecostals in the convention. I met a lot of them. I went to a restaurant for 700. And not one approached me. Now, I dress this way for a purpose. Not one approached me with the good news. I said, do you believe in Yeshua, in Jesus? Yeah. You're carrying a book. Is that his message? Yeah. Do you think it's important? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it must not be. Because your whole entire group, not one, came and, sh and shared the gospel with you. And they said, you know, you're right. You, you, you got books, you got t-shirts, you got, you know, you're on the high. But until you go face to face with a person and share it, that's what we need to, in our small groups. Yeah. We need the how. We need the yes. hands on. Yes. And we need this information, sure. But if the Great Commission, he said, go. Yes. You know, so that's what I do when I meet people at breakfast. Talk to them. Share them. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. They don't know that I'm a messianic Jew. I'm, I'm, we're together. I believe that you, I don't believe in a Jesus Christ with blonde hair and blue eyes from Rome. Hmm. But I do believe in my Messiah that was born in Israel, Rabbi Yeshua. Hmm. Quite a difference. Yeah. You know? So I think that's that would really help us for you all to, to equip us yeah. in our small groups the how. Yes. People don't know the how. Yeah. And we get to that. That's that's an issue oftentimes of, of adequacy. You know, we and and many times uh so that, that's a part of the even trying to do the prayer uh, as you're talking about the importance of, of the how. Uh, how to pray scripture is, is another way, I guess, to say what you're saying uh, over people. And um, it's part of what we're doing in, in kind of a small group text context. Um, so this, this particular book is written for that purpose, very much to get into an experiential encounter with uh, uh, it's our bias in, in in whole life discipleship that we grow along these stages through uh, walking in what we call the light if you recall uh, Christ said to his disciples one day to walk in the light while you still have the light lest the darkness overtake you and the darkness can easily overtake us right how does it overtake us if we quit walking, uh, I mean, I guarantee you, I sit out in the parking lot for the next few hours, the darkness is going to get me, you know, it's going to catch up to me. And so I have to walk in the light. And so Jesus gives us the light. Uh, he describes himself as, as the light of the world. So we have to have these fresh encounters with him. Uh, and so in part of this book is designed to lead people into fresh encounters with Jesus. Um, and uh, the one I've talked about earlier, uh, when my mom died in 97, uh, she wanted me to say a few words at her funeral. And, you know, I was, I was in the midst of grieving and mourning, and I needed the Father of compassion and God of all comfort to comfort me in the midst of my affliction so that I could be present at her funeral to comfort others with the same comfort that I received from God. And so I needed to experience Jesus, a Jesus who wept, um, John eleven thirty five. 35. I needed a fresh encounter with that Christ um, who is hurting for me. He's not somebody that just hurt for Mary and Bethany and wept for Mary, but he, he hurts for me today and he hurts for you. And so we need to inter introduce that person uh, to people to experience, have those fresh encounters. Um, he's not... Somebody that just prayed for somebody named Peter in Jerusalem. He prays for us as we're being sifted, as Satan's trying to sift us like wheat. Um, he's interceding. He's praying for us. And we need to introduce Jesus to ex people to experience him in that way. Um, and, um, uh, I mean, I appreciate the word he shared. And if he were staying here, I'd tell him about our friend uh, Eldon Clem, who's a rabbi. Uh, in uh, Jerusalem, and he's he's kind of interesting. He doesn't he doesn't identify as a messianic. He identifies as a Jew who is a follower of Yeshua, and he ministers to Muslims. And he's planted. He just planted his eighth church. Uh, he'll win. He'll introduce um, Muslims to, to Yeshua. 
disciple them, and then one of the Muslim, uh, former Muslim leaders will, will then lead the church. And he's, he has started eight churches uh, to help these Arabs become uh, followers of Christ. Uh, so it's kind of cool, cool some of the things that God's doing way outside the box uh, within community of Jews ministering to Arabs and Arabs ministering to Jews. Mm. Um, it, it's kind of cool to see uh, by leading them to some of these experiences. And so if you're a pastor or if you're a small group leader, any small group leaders, if you want extra copies, uh, I have extra ones. If you want to take six, eight, ten, however many you need for a small group, uh, like I said, this was meant to be done. Uh, I'm on church staff, Redemption City Church, and there's eight of us that meet on Wednesdays for our own personal development um, as, as, as pastors and ministers, and we just walk through this together. I'm just taking it, uh, it, it's kind of broken into weeks and days, and so the way we walk through it is, um, you know, like day one, uh, I would be assigned that you know, for instance, and I would walk our staff through it. Um, and then at the end, there's a little experiential that's going to lead you to experience scripture. That's the other source of light is the scriptures are a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And so leading people to experience the book, experience the word. Um, so this particular experiential of First uh, Thessalonians 2.8 says, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but also our our own lives too. I guess you reflect on your um, the people that uh, Jesus would want you to love in your life, and how you can pass on some of Jesus's good news of support, acceptance, forgiveness, compassion, humility, kindness, encouragement, and then to finish the sentence stem. You know, I sense that my spouse, for instance, needs more of Jesus's love. I think that in this case, Lacey, my wife. Uh, we've been married 38 years, but she still needs the love of Jesus through me uh, to her. Um, her birthday's coming up, so she, wanna, she wants to get her toes done. <laughs> so part of what I'm saving money for is to go get her toes done uh, for her birthday. So she, that's how she needs an expression of Christ in me uh, next week. And so that's how I plan to demonstrate it. I say all that to say we have to give an account in the small group of of how we're going to do that. Um, and then the next day two, I would assign to somebody else on the staff to lead us through the, when we get together the next week. So if you have any passion for leading small groups, uh, I've got enough books. I'll give you six, eight, ten, however many you need to, to lead a small group. The other source of light that's in here, so you got to have fresh encounters with Jesus. you got to have experiences of Scripture. And then we've got to engage fellowship. Uh, like our brother said, we've got to we got to talk to people. <laughs> we got to engage with one another. It's through fellowship that we move the needle in our spiritual growth. These are this is how we get from one stage to the next: is the the fresh encounters of Jesus. Um, we sometimes will say that uh, oftentimes a person's first encounter has been their last. In other words, they haven't had fresh encounters since they since the cross. And maybe they need to have a fresh experience of the cross. Uh, so one of the experientials that's in here is meeting Jesus fresh and anew at the cross. Uh, remember some of the relational encounters that Jesus had at the cross? Uh, remember that he had an encounter with the thief? Remember that? What did the thief say to him? Remember? Remember me when you come into your kingdom? Remember that Jesus story? And, and what did he say with, to him? Today you'll, be with Today you'll be with me. He accepted that guy even before he began to change. That people need our acceptance. I need Christ's acceptance. I need a fresh encounter. I'm the thief besides Jesus. I need a fresh encounter of his acceptance today. I need that grace so that I can share that grace with others. Um, remember another encounter with uh, the Roman soldiers? What did, he say, what did he say about them? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm the Roman soldier. My sin caused Christ to have to die. I need a fresh encounter today 
with the Jesus who forgives me so that I have the grace to forgive the person today that offends me. Uh, I need a fresh encounter so I have it to give. You can't give what you don't have. If you ask me for five bucks, I would want to give it to you. I think I have two dollars. <laughs> you can't give what you don't have. Um, you need a fresh encounter so that you have it fresh today to give. Uh, you have that mercy fresh today. Uh, remember his encounter with his mom? He looks at John, his beloved disciple, and he says, Behold your mother. And to his mother, behold your son, John. That changed the whole trajectory of John's ministry. He lived out his life taking care of Mary. That defined his ministry to support her. I need Jesus to daily bear my burdens, to carry my load, so that I can help carry yours. I can fulfill Galatians 6.2, to bear one of those burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, that cross experience is so important that we, we have a fresh encounter with that and lead people to have fresh encounters with Jesus. Uh, so those kind of things are built in to this book. Um, I even, when I, when I marry people uh, as pastor, I always give them a cross. And they make cool crosses down in Belize because they have cool <laughs> wood down there. <laughs> and so I've got this guy down there that carves them and he'll engrave. Uh, and I build that into the wedding a fresh that's part of the vows that they make um, is they're gonna you think those of you who are married do you think your spouse do you need let me say it this way do you do you need your spouse's acceptance have you noticed y'all are different is that am I talking to the right group <laughs> Lacey and I are very different uh, she needs my acceptance and I need hers I mess up okay I mess up a lot I need her forgiveness. I need her support. I need her to help carry the load. And so that's so critical in marriage. We put this, the, I have the cross built into the whole ceremony. And they're, they're, they're making uh, vows to love their spouse like Christ loves them. To be more accepting and forgiving and supportive of one another. And then to display that in their home and as they have crisis and conflict they come to common ground at the cross and, and give that up to, to Christ. Um, so leading people to have fresh encounters uh, with Jesus is, is an important part of spiritual transformation and moving the needle um, on the journey. Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers. And by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. So let me go back to talking about uh, whole life. When we talk about uh, taking that out into community. Uh, we want to take and live out. Uh, we do this through a spirit-empowered faith. Now, what do I mean by spirit-empowered? One of the ways that I think about that is contrasting uh, spirit to the flesh. What does it look like to walk in the spirit? Well, that's probably involves some humility. So there's... Um, some humility. One of the self-disclosures of Jesus is he said, I'm gentle and humble. So I think we're all destined for that, humility. Um, we can either choose it or we can go kicking and streaming. But I think 
as we're going to be conformed to the image of Christ, uh, we're destined for humility. Hopefully I choose that and I work on um, humbling myself before the Lord. Uh, faith is another, I think, expression of being spirit-empowered. And then gratitude. Um, now I contrast that with uh, what it might be to be in the flesh. Uh, in contrast, humility is really some, uh, we oftentimes call self-reliance. See, I get, in the, I get in the way of living a spirit-filled life by being self-reliant. In other words, any other self-reliant people in the room? <laughs> you know, oftentimes you act like, I don't need. And you may not say this, but it's almost like I really, I can almost operate as if I don't need God. Now, again, I'm not going to say that out loud, but I can make a steady stream. And some people argue you make 35,000 decisions a day. You can make a steady stream of decisions all day long without going vertical and talking to God. What jerks you out of your self-reliance is you talk to God. You ask him what he thinks about it. Because you think he has a will about most of the decisions you, you're making? Um, and so one way to kind of come out of your own self-reliance is to humble yourselves and invite God in. Um, I can make a steady stream of decisions that impact my wife without talking to her about it. Gets me in trouble, but that's when I act self-reliantly. I can make decisions that could impact your life without talking to you about it. But that's just me being self-reliant and not respecting you to think that you might have an opinion about the things that impact you. Um, and so I might need to grow in that area, but I can get my self-reliance can get in the way of my humility when I act like I don't need God and I don't need you. See, we're never going to get to koinonia, true fellowship, if I don't need you. And, and if I have this attitude, I don't think you should need me. We need one another. We're part of a body, and uh, we need one another. So I've got to deal with my own self-reliance. I've got to deal, on faith, I've got to deal with my selfishness. Um, Kind of that's, we would say, oftentimes the antithesis to, to some faith is, is fear that uh, it's my needs aren't going to get met. So I have to take control, manipulate to get my needs met. I'm not trusting God. I'm not trusting you. And so the way that sometimes will show up for me is I am this compulsive list maker. Anybody else a list maker? <laughs> um, and I'm waking up already with a list of what I got to get done today. It's exhausting. But I could be laying next to Lacey, and guess what? I'm making up a list for her too. All centered around my agenda. When my kids were in the house, I'd make up a list for Rachel and Nathan and Aaron. All centered around my agenda. I could be driving to work, and I'm thinking about David, and I'm thinking about Teresa, and I'm thinking about Robin, and I'm thinking about Terry, and I'm thinking about Joseph, and I'm thinking about Kelly, and I'm thinking about James, and I'm thinking about, you know, our team members, Andrew, and, um, and I'm all thinking about how lists for them all sit around my agenda. See, at that point, I'm not free to serve them. And this whole thing called discipleship, it's all about serving. It's all about serving. Saints serve. We're to equip the saints for the work of service. And when we did a cluster analysis of those words for service throughout the Old and New Testament, that's where it led us to the four different dimensions of serving. We're to serve the Lord, we're to serve His Word, we're to serve His people, and we're to serve His mission. And so when you look at all those scriptures, uh, three Greek words, two Hebrew words related to serve or minister, it takes you to those four dimensions that are reflected in the Appendix 3 uh, if you turn there to Appendix 3, it actually will talk about uh, 10 Spirit-empowered spirit outcomes related to serving the Lord. What does a disciple look like? A disciple is one who practices thanksgiving in all things. That's how we serve the Lord, through gratitude. 
Uh, a disciple listens to and hears God. Remember young Samuel, um, where the Lord was speaking to him. And Eli said, go lay down and say, speak, Lord, your servant listens. Saints, servants, listen to the Lord for direction and discernment and so forth. So there's 10 related to how do we love the Lord. There's 10 related to how do we minister or serve his word. Those are the W's. Uh, there's 10 related to people. Those are the P's. Those are 10 discipleship outcomes. And then there's 10 related to mission. And how do we take his mission to the community? Um, so we do. We have an assessment. If you want to take an assessment in these of these forty outcomes on how you're doing uh, on the on the journey of these uh, stages, uh, there's a QR code up here. If you want to download a free assessment, it's on our website too, GreatCommandment.net. If you want to assess yourself in these forty discipleship outcomes, it took us about ten years to test this internationally on a global discipleship council that we're part of in um, multiple different languages. Um, and so these, these 40 outcomes have been uh, tested among the Christian community and they were discerned from scripture uh, through the study of, of what is a servant. Uh, so if you're interested in taking that assessment, we use a little Lackard scale of one to five. Um, Let's look at let's look at one of these spirit empowered faith outcomes. Let's look at uh, L nine. So if you if you're in Appendix three, L nine, you find the love the Lord ones. Appendix three, it's in the back. It doesn't have a page number on it, but it's Appendix three in the back. You find L nine. Everybody find it. Um, yeah. Can somebody read the bold? L9? I'll read it. Okay. Yielding to the Spirit's fullness as life in the Spirit brings supernatural intimacy with the Lord, manifestation of divine gifts, and witness of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. Witness, yeah. Good. Good. Uh, so take a minute and kind of assess yourself. Do a little self-assessment. Nobody's looking. Keep your eye on your own paper. Um, <laughs> but using this Lackard scale of one to five, assess how true that statement it is of you. Do you are you intentional about yielding to the Spirit? Uh, and are some of those things showing up in your own life where you got manifestations of your gifts, your spiritual gifts, and fruit of the Spirit flowing out of you? How would you say you do with that on a regular basis? Is that not true of you? Is that infrequently true of you? <coughs> Is it somewhat true of you? Sometimes some fruit comes out of me of the Spirit. <laughs> or is it often true? Or is it very true? Um, so how would you give yourself a number? And then we, uh, the way we plot this on, on this graph, we do this with all 40 of them, if you take the assessment. If you score yourself a one or a two on that, you're just kind of exploring that truth um, of the faith that maybe this fruit of the Spirit is a thing. <laughs> um, if, if, you, if you score yourself, if you score yourself a three, um, I'm glad they agree. Uh, <laughs> if you score yourself a three, then that's you're in the embrace category. You're in the embrace category. Uh, you've embraced it. You're trying to live that out, a yieldedness, a yielded, yielding your spirit to the Holy Spirit, trying to live that. If, if, you're, if you score yourself four, you're doing that on a regular basis. It's, it's become now part of your identity. And then if you're a five, you're able to teach some others how to do it um, in your life. We've noticed where discipleship tends to break down, this is the Willow Creek study, is between stage two and three. That people have oftentimes embraced the truths of the faith that you're trying to pass on along to them, 
But they're just not doing it apart from you. They're not doing it Monday through Friday. They're not experiencing that as an ongoing practice of the faith. Um, if that makes sense to you. Uh, so we've got to, again, the way you get from stage two to three is you've got to give them fresh encounters with Jesus. Uh, where they're experiencing Christ, encountering Jesus. So one of the ways that just practically that we lead people to do that is encourage them to get a red letter edition of the Bible. Okay. And find where uh, Jesus is loving on people and put their name there and receive that from him. So they have it to give to others. Um, get them around other people who, who tend to yield to the, uh, to the Spirit. That's where they can engage some fellowship. Because here's the interesting thing about it. The light in you exposes the darkness in me. Uh, I remember being at a prayer meeting a number of years ago in Dallas. And we were praying for the persecuted of the world. And you've seen some of these clips online probably where their uh, Arab Christians were being killed by Muslim uh, Arabs. And um, we were praying against uh, ISIS. And um, I'm angry. As I'm hearing those stories of how people are being persecuted, Christian, Arab Christians are being persecuted. I'm finding in my heart some anger. Um, and and I, I don't, have you ever prayed angry? <laughs> mm. I was doing some angry praying. And this one brother from Canada stood up. And he started praying for ISIS. He started praying for the enemy, and he was praying scripture. And have you ever had been around somebody that can really pray, and you walk away and you think, I think I even turned to my wife and said, I don't know how to pray. <laughs> After hearing him, uh, because he began to pray for ISIS. He began to claim uh, the testimony of the Apostle Paul, how Saul went to Paul, and how God took a persecutor of the church mm. and turning into a mighty warrior. And this uh, man of God from Canada was praying that God would raise up Pauls out of ISIS that would become strong testimonies for the kingdom and spread the kingdom among Islam. And it, the light in him exposed in me, man, I was not even doing, praying like Jesus was praying. Where he says, love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for them. Uh, I wasn't doing the basics. The light in him in that moment exposed the darkness in me. Does that make sense? That's the importance of fellowship. That's why we've got to be together uh, sharing our journey with one another um, to help one another grow. So we look at it in, the, in that sense in terms of mutual discipleship. Uh, yeah, you know, you might just kind of put yourself on this particular one, how you would, how you would, um, what stage you might put yourself in based on your your number. Um, sorry, let me finish this. Uh, I get distracted. <laughs> Instead of gratitude, I can I can uh, wallow in self condemnation, where uh, I'm focused on you know not being good enough. I'm not enough. I don't know how. You know, just some real shame based. Uh, beating myself up at times. So these issues of self can oftentimes be what it looks like to, to walk in the flesh. Um, I actually, versus the Spirit, uh, what it might look like if I'm using Paul's language to walk in the, the Spirit, humility, faith, and gratitude. Um so this is one of the way indicators that I'm in the flesh if I'm beating myself up, because if I'm if you're trying to give uh, acceptance to me in some way and I'm not feeling worth it, I'm kind of really re rejecting some of the manifold grace of God you're trying to share with me, and I'm cutting off the divine flow because if I don't have it, I don't have to share with those in community. Um, this can lead me to judging other people. If I'm beating myself up and judging myself, then that's going to come out oftentimes toward others. I do a little game in, in my class with my business students um, with candy. Uh, like I'll give them a little bag of candy, and I'll assign them one of these roles. 
again, this is a, these, these kids are not Christians. They're university students. Um, and I'm giving them a bag of candy. And in that candy, I'm, I've written up for them a role to play. They're doing some role playing. So in some of the bags of candy, you got a selfish, a self-reliant Sam or a Susie. And, and, and they have to play out that self-reliant role. So when others are coming around with bags of candy, they, you know, they're going off to hide in a corner somewhere. It's, I, I write it out for them what their role they got to play. They're, they're trying to avoid, I don't need you. I don't need your candy. I don't need whatever you're going to have. Uh, I'm good. So I'm going off to my own little corner uh, to be self-reliant. Others with bags of candy are selfish. They're going around trying to take candy out of your bag. They're grabbing other people's bag of candy. Take it, okay? Because they fear there's not going to be enough candy. And then the third group is the self-condemnation group. The self-condemnation, Sam or Susie. And they're, they're, not, they're not receiving anything from anybody. And if somebody, if a selfish person comes along, they're saying, oh yeah, I have my candy. I'm not, I'm not worth it. You know, I don't deserve to have any. Um, and that's the role they're playing. And so you see that dynamic play out in the room. It's really interesting. And then we kind of debrief, okay, what was it like to be selfish? Okay, what was that like? You know, what was that like to be self-reliant? Pretty lonely, off in a corner somewhere. What was that like to be shaming, self-condemning? Um, and, and then I had actually had another person planted with uh, their giving first. Their role is to give first. So they've got an unlimited bag of candy. They can just keep coming back and get more candy. Isn't that like God? He provides an unlimited resource uh, for us. And I talked to them about, man, there's, there's plenty of resources. You don't have to get caught up with any of these issues of self that we're called to give first, to serve people. And I've got tons of anecdotal stories about that. Uh, one of the ways that we take the gospel into the community is by giving first. Did Jesus ever give first to anybody? Who did he give first to? Give me some examples. In Cana at the wedding. At the wedding, yeah. That was a great example of giving first. Yes. Yeah, some other examples. Who did he give first to? When the disciples. He, disciples, yeah. Call them, yeah, to be with him. Feeding the 5,000. Feeding hungry people. <laughs> I was going to say that, the 5,000 uh -huh. and the 4,000. Yeah, the yeah, times. that's right. Give to hungry people. Healing lepers? Yeah. Receive any children? <laughs> it's like anybody could approach Jesus, right? He was giving first. I talked to my business students about, you know, one of my trips down to Belize, I was uh, actually in the in the airport. I had flown from, you know, from Houston to um, Belize City, and I was waiting to catch a little 30-minute flight down to Placencia, where, where, where I live. And um, I was observing this couple. And part of, uh, part of living out the fruit of the spirit of love, I've created a little acrostic for that too, to listen. One of the ways to love people, L-O-V-E, is to listen, to observe them. If you're going to love them, you observe them. Value them, uh, value some of the things they value, and then enjoy them in some way. So I'm, I'm observing this couple. I'm weird, I know. I, I create acrostics. I <laughs> I'm observing this couple, and um, they seem to be liking each other. And they, they catch my attention, so I'm observing, just observing them in the airport. And they're, they're middle-aged, and I just introduced myself. I'm Lewis, um, and they introduced, hey, I'm Phil, I'm Wendy. I said, what are y'all doing? They said, we're on our honeymoon. I said, really? You going down to Placencia? And they said, yes. And I said, where are you staying? And they, they're, saying, they're staying at the Turtle Inn, which is a real high-end place on the peninsula. It's the the Caprio family they have a little helipad uh, where they fly in and um, high end we're we're a little resort okay we're not that okay <laughs> we're at the other end of the spectrum we we got a nice place on the beach and it's very beautiful but we don't have all the amenities that they have at the Turtle Inn and but you know I'm I land in uh, I'm going into uh, the the little village of Placencia and I drive right by the Turtle Inn. So one day I'm driving by and I had noticed that Phil and Wendy, part of my observing them, they were uh, eating Cheetos and drinking Coke Zero. I just took note of that. 
that that's something they like. That's something they're interested in. And the bar is so low with people in terms of being able to give first to them. I thought, you know what? I'm going to swing by the little supermarket, get a couple of bags of Cheetos and Coke Zero. They might need a little energy on their honeymoon along the way. Uh, second marriage for both of them. Um, I go in the Turtle Inn. I take a little, see in Belize, you don't have all these frilly little gift bags. I found a bucket and I put the two, the two bottles of Coke Zero and the chips, the, 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 the Cheetos in there. And um, I wrote them a little note, say, hey, it's Lewis, met you in the airport. If you need anything while you're on the peninsula, give me a call. They called me that night and said, hey, can we take you to dinner? I said, yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> you know what they wanted to know? Why did you buy me, buy us Coke Zero and Cheetos? I said, well, I happened to notice that you liked them. And they wanted to know, they kept pressing, that wasn't satisfying. They wanted to know more. Why? No, why did you do that, really? Uh, I talked to business students as an opportunity because I not only made a friend that day, but they said, you know, next time we're in Belize, we're staying at your place, the Buried Treasure Beach. But you know what it gave me an opportunity to do? As they continued to press me, I said, well, you know what? The real reason is because I've been loved like that by Christ, by Jesus. He takes, he seemed to keep up with people and know what they liked and their interests and keep know their relationships and what was important to them. And, uh, you know, Peter's mother-in-law was sick and he showed, he didn't, heal Peter's mother-in-law just to prove he could heal mother-in-laws. That wasn't on his agenda that day. Okay, next thing on the subject list, prove you can heal mother-in-laws. No, that's because he came to know Peter and what was important to him and healed her um, because that was important to him. And so part of giving first to people is just by observing and giving to them. Yes. And, and I was able to share the whole gospel with them. Um, you know what they did? They said, well, what are you doing tomorrow? I mean, these are not even believers. And they, what, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, well, you're on your honeymoon. I could take you to some really cool falls, but you're on your honeymoon. And we spent the day together the next day. And they want to take me to dinner again that night. I, I had to put a boundary up to say, hey, but we're friends on Facebook now. It's official. Uh, and uh, but Phil and Wendy Graham have become friends, and they gave me the whole opportunity to share the gospel over Coke Zero and Cheetos. The bar is so low to love people. There's a little experiential. Uh, let's do this one real quick. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, uh, self-control. Did I miss one? Kindness, gentleness. gentleness. Uh, of those, here, here's a little experiential you can do in your Bible studies or in your preaching. I've done this in preaching on that passage in Galatians 5.22. Right now in your spiritual journey, to further impact in the community, which of those fruit of the Spirit do you think you need to be more of in Galatians 5, 22, 23? Which one just, as I mentioned those nine, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, self-control. What resonates with your spirit is say, you know, my relationships could benefit from more of this. Which one would that be? And then you can just, once you identify that, um, let, let's take one minute right now. Just which one of those jump out? I told you I'm working on love. I've created an acrostic. I'm trying to do better at listening to people, observing them, valuing them, uh, enjoying relationships. Um, trying to work on my love a little bit. Which one for you? What would it be? Um, just real quickly, can you just turn to somebody maybe in two or three, and just give them, give them a word. Is it love? Is it joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness? You got that passage? 522? I'm, I'm getting it here. Okay. I got it. Okay. 522. You want yeah. me to read it? Yeah, read it out loud, and then pick, pick one of those words. Okay. As you're seeking to become more of... But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
self-control. Yeah, that's good. All right, which one of them jumps out to you? Just to the person sitting next to you, two or three next to you, which one would you say? Which pick a word? Your relationships can benefit from more what? Okay, you guys survived that. That's good. We need to help people experience more of this together when we're together. That you know, people are coming looking for connection over content. Uh, that's why they. That's why they're hoping to get together to connect, to be known, and to relate. One of the um, prayer apps that, that we make available to you in these five different areas of flourishing, uh, how to pray flourishing over your pastor, over yourself, over your family, over your friends. Uh, if you text to that number, if you, go to, if you open up your text, and in the two field, put in that phone number, and then text Forum 21 for this particular, because you attended this workshop, we're giving you our collection uh, they'll be pushed through to you of uh, clickable prayers to pray uh, in these five areas of flourishing. Um, we, we focused on on the vocation, uh, but if you'd like to receive those uh, in form of an SMS um, text message, uh, over the next 35 days you'll get free prayers that you can pray over your pastor, over yourself, and it's the, the what to and how to of prayer. Um, most of us know why. But, and then if you want to take this 40 uh, question outcome, uh, outcome assessment, there's the code, or just go to our website. Um, you can download that. Out of time, I think lunch is, you're supposed to say something about lunch. If you want some, uh, if you want some free books to do a small group, uh, I've got them for you. Six, eight, ten, however many you need. That was great stuff from Dr. Lewis Alexander, Great Commitment Network. Thank you so much for listening. The next episode also features Great Commitment Network on their final track session from last year's forum. And that brings me to a really good point. We have a national disciple making forum coming up again this October. So if you want to come to that and be a part of just all the awesomeness that goes on at the forum, go to discipleship.org and buy your tickets today. Invite your church leaders, invite your friends, anybody who cares about making disciples. And I promise you, you will walk away filled and fueled for making disciples where you are. All right. Thanks so much for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode. Oh,